I am not of the world, and you are not of the world. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, today's gospel is from John, and the earlier was from Luke. I'm concentrating on the John's gospel. One was for the Sunday, and the second was for the Council, Second Council of Nicaea, 787. So this Council of Nicaea, 787, uh, that is the last ecumenical council that we really follow in the Eastern churches. There have been many um, other councils, some famous ones in the West, like Trent, and they always talk about Vatican I and Vatican II, and then they talk about this sort of funny Vatican IIb, which is sort of euphemism. And uh, but those seven councils are a summary of the teachings of the early church. So what's peculiar to Eastern Church is we really are the early church. So one thing that it said at the Vatican Council, two, was that there's a document on the Eastern Church. I was so surprised they put anything in there. Anyway, it says, in the Eastern Churches, there is obvious the apostolic tradition. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And today we're going to talk about the Seventh Council. It largely had to do with um, the divinity, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, and the Incarnation, and the Holy Icons. So, uh, as I talk to you, I will tell you the criteria of faith in the Eastern Catholic Churches. Only these things. The teaching of the apostles, the ecumenical councils, the divine liturgy, liturgical texts, and the biblical art of the church. Now, I was, uh, Brother Petter was showing me some, um, a book coming out. It was in uh, a little pamphlet we get uh, about sewing publications. Rarely do I find in that publication anything that is really pertinent to us. They're really not interested in us. Another thing about it is many of those books are controversial and they do not help you. Jesus says in the Gospel day, I'm in the world but not of the world, and you are not of the world. Personally, I think if we try to live with one foot in the world, and one foot in heaven is not good. We must give our total self 
to Christ and his church. And we must live in the milieu of the church. That means the air we breathe, the water we drink, everything we do is in union with Christ and his church. So anyway, there are many, I hear confessions, not too many these days, but I do hear confessions now and again. And of course, I was hearing confessions in, in, uh, at the priest retreat. And uh, many of us are very attracted to the things of the world. And most of these things are, <clears throat> I'll tell you the truth, of the devil. So one of the tragedies, great tragedy of our civilization is the lack of appreciation of the sacraments. Some people think they are sociological entities. The sacraments are our entrance into the life of the life-giving trinity and have really nothing to do with this world. So you'll read in the book about the sacraments, they are mysterion. The mysterion in Greek is the life of God. And through these sacraments, we are incorporated into the life of God. Somewhere along the line, we have to teach our children and ourselves the most important thing to live is that life of God which is in you. Jesus said, John's Gospel, I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. Paul said this is a relationship to Jesus. We have to attend to that life. The way we attend to that life is first of all, following the teachings of the fathers in these councils. So I've just finished a book on Gregory of Nazianzus. It's a little bit more to go, and Brother Theodore is reading uh, the book from these. We have the collection of the writings of the fathers. He's reading about Nazianzus. It's pretty much what he's getting, I'm also getting. What do we learn from those early fathers? And our church is supposedly, according to the teaching of the Vatican Council, is the church of the early fathers. First of all, we're way off. They lived in small communities where you could walk to church and they were there morning and evening praying. And they always gathered together on the first day of the week for the breaking of the bread, the Holy Eucharist. 
And Cyril says, St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, be careful when you bring the Holy Eucharist home to keep it in a safe place. But apparently, they brought the Eucharist home for daily communion. They were zealous in their faith. And finally, by the time, I think I've told you this, of 13, uh, 313, when Constantine, the great emperor and saint, gave the church its freedom, overnight the whole Mediterranean world was converted like a garden of flowers, churches everywhere. Because they really nurtured the life of God within them. I think, in many ways, we have made too many concessions to the world. I remember when it doesn't have to do with Christians, it has to do with Jewish people. I was in Israel, and they had Hasidic Jews. The Hasidic Jews come, usually came from Poland, and they were followers of a particular rabbi. And their largest synagogue was in Osarat. And they were, of course, all murdered and taken away. But we still have that synagogue. It's a theater when I was there. They were something like we are. They were the mystical Jews, the ones that sat around praying, letting the Holy Spirit as best they could work in them. They did not have the grace of chrismation, which we have, which is our personal possession of the descent of the Holy Spirit. And by that we are assured the Holy Spirit is always praying with us and in us. Even when we feel our prayer is poor. The quality of your interior life is what you'll be judged for when you throw the throne of God. It says in the scripture, he will know them by their love. So sometimes, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, it's discouraging to hear confessions. Not that people sin. We're supposed to forgive sins. That's what priests are about. But that their sins are so worldly Now, let me talk to you about this a little bit. Uh, in the community I was raised in, Byzantine Catholic and Slovak, and some Roman Slovaks, some Poles, there were great big churches filled with people. People who worked hard, and the rest of their life was prayer. They had to accommodate their prayer to the circumstances they found themselves in the United States. They were not in a village in the Carpathian Mountains with the priest 
and the temple and all the services. Most of them, however, when they got here, they founded our churches. They brought the religion with them, and we could thank God for them. It was very interesting to go to their house. They didn't always have icons because in the migration, they couldn't get holy icons. They had, but they had holy pictures. And the living room was a special place. I remember I came from seminary. I had a beautiful picture of Christ, just beautiful. I wanted to give it to my grandmother. And over the mantle there in this Victorian house, this old house, it's knocked down now, there was a picture of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I said to my grandmother, would it not be nice for us to take that picture down and put our Lord up there? She says, no, you can put our Lord on another wall but the Holy Family has to stay there. She was telling me that we are the Holy Family. So everything in that house sur surrounded themselves with Easter, Christmas, feast days, saints days, and daily prayer. As I told the priests, we don't learn our religion we catch it from our relatives. We catch it from our brother and father and our sisters. We catch it from the holy people around us who are not of the world. Somehow, of late, the church is trying to, it's in Vatican II, the church in the modern world. Well, the modern world is past, by the way. We're living in a contemporary world that has nothing to do with the 19th and 20th century. Those centuries, except for some technology and, med and medicine, was lost. It's a lost period in our history. We lost, lost most of our Catholicism. We lost our churches. We lost our kings. We lost our way of life when we came to America. And the children are raised here, they're not the same as the one that were raised in the village. Just in the village, they were poor, and everyone had to work so somebody would have something to eat, but they were holy. I was with Father John Jack this time. He's 80 years old. I walked up to him and I said, he was at the retreat, I said, you, you look beautiful to me. How beautiful you are. He says, yes. He says, I'm going back to Europe. I'm going back to Capatoros, to the village. It's there he feels close to God. And among those people, they are still severely persecuted. Too bad. Everybody wants them to do what they want them to do. They just want to be left alone with their church. My dear brothers and sisters, 
There's no consolation as great as praying in the temple of being with the saints, of being with Jesus Christ in your heart. Anything that takes your mind away from that is of the devil. But he is rampant here. People confess sins, which are temptations, really, but they think they're serious sins. A serious sin is one which we know is wrong. And we consent to do it, and in fact, we do do it. That's a serious sin. Temptations, as long as you fight them and tell the devil to stay away from you, are not serious sins. We're in a predicament. The society around us is not our home. It's a pagan place with lots of allurement for our children. Our children are in jeopardy. About everywhere I go, I meet Catholics that are homeschooling. That's the future of the church. They pray there. Do not feel sinful if you form your conscience and you have to do something like correct your children. But if you're unkind to your children or your wife or your husband, that would be sinful. But if you think before you act, and pray, you're not going to do that. What is your home to you? Is it not the little church? Is it not the place of prayer? Is it not surrounded by the lives of the saints and holy candles and the prayer, which makes it the holy place? Did not the priest come and bless it? How can you do naughty things there? Should not be possible. When your children leave you, unfortunately, they go into a wicked world. You only hope that they absorb enough of Catholicism, especially Eastern Catholicism, to survive so you can they can join you merrily in heaven our journey is to the heavenly kingdom so many many people when i was in new jersey retreat many many priests have gone ahead of us they struggled to build parishes I'll tell you something, though. Our people were always pretty generous with us. So Bishop now is building three new churches and some old areas. He's taking some churches down and moving the iconostas and things to the new church. He's trying very hard. We are a new situation out here. We're growing slowly but surely. 
we have to come up against this secular wall of values. And we're almost afraid to talk to them about what's really in our hearts, the love of Christ, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the mysterion of the apostles, which makes us one in the life of the Trinity. The greatest mystery in the world is not if we go to the moon or not, who cares? It's not uh, the greatest scientists or what the people thinks the great progress we're making. Most of that is not really progress. The greatest mystery in the world is a man or woman in love with God. We call them saints who have their passions under control and they lead a very prayerful life. I think some of the people I met were that way. And they were always very good to me. Some were not. They were thinking about entertainment and sports and money. If you have a lot of money, and some of our people do have a lot of money, they've made a lot of money, you're going to be judged what you do with it. How'd you help the poor church? How'd you help the poor? So even in our rule on the monastery, we have to help the poor. So around Christmas time, I tell the brothers, we're going to send donations to the nuns, cloistered nuns, the ones that pray, not the ones that play baseball in the street. That's, that's okay, but it's, it's more important that we have nuns that pray, that are holy. They're not taken up with the world. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. I am in him and you are in me. You are in Christ. You are not your own. Every day we went to eat at seminary, three meals a day, and the plate we ate off had Vivere mihi Christus es, for me to live as Christ. So, it's not your children, it's not your husband, it's not your wife. The one that you're living for is Christ. And if you really live with Christ in your heart, you'll love everybody around you. especially your children and your spouse and the poor. I was thrilled to be with these priests. I know some of them have, especially the married priests, having a hard time. I know them. I know the church that was born here by the immigrants. And I know 
that we must preserve that spirituality. Spirituality is the life of God within you. It must be nurtured and must be kept as your holy gift from the Trinity. And it must be done in unity with the community. So that when you come to the temple, you know you are God. And you are that temple too. Religion in Latin means a, rig a rigorous uh, uh, discipline. It's not what religious means to me. Religion means to me falling in love with God and the saints and the beauty of the church. And if I'm a good person, I must share that with others so that they too can rejoice in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their heart. And they too will be people of prayer, forgiving and loving, and not too tied up with the world that they're grumpy all the time. The world makes you grumpy. That's what the devil wants to do. Take you away, telling you what you need, this, this, and that. You don't need anything. You need the love of God. There was a radio program here a year or so ago, and I was listening to it. They found an old man in the woods around here somewhere. He was 100 years old. What did he live on? He lived on whatever animals and food he could find in the forest. And uh, he was in excellent condition. So they decided, you know, these social workers, they decided he couldn't stay there. Because after all, he was 100 years old, he had to be taken care of. I'm sure he had to be taken care of. But they found out quickly the best way they could take care of him is to leaving in the forest where he had lived for a hundred years with nothing of our civilization. He must have met in his soul God in the quiet and peace of the forest and the beauty of God's creation taught him much about him. I had some, a physical some years ago. And I, when I became a colonel, you get a special physical with the doctors. Because you're lots, worth a lot of money to the military. Not necessarily because uh, you're valuable, but you're worth a lot of money. Costs a lot of money, a colonel. So they went into this doctor and they strip you down to your skin, you know. They looked me over. I was about 40 some years old then. He said to me, Father, if you don't eat junk food and stay away from sugar, you're gonna live a long time. 
course, I like sugar, you know. I sort of try to listen to him. But I want to live a long time in the heavenly kingdom for eternity. And I don't need all those sweets and all the things of the world. If you haven't noticed, I spend my money on vestments and beautiful things for the church. I love all that, and most priests do. So spend your money on the things you love. Spend your money on the beauty of God. Spend your money by eating simply simple food. Spend your money in your day that you know every day, like the early Christians, you will meet morning and evening with God. And long every day for the Eucharist, especially the Sunday Eucharist, where you come together with those who love you because they can see the love of Christ in you. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.